This morning, we're looking at Mark chapter 3. And so, because there's nothing on the screen, if you have your Bible with you or if you have your Bible in your hand in a, a digital form, uh, you may occasionally want to refer to it. There's something about Mark chapter 3 that at times when I was looking at it, I thought maybe we should just jump to Mark chapter 4. There are things about Mark chapter 3 that are not necessarily easy, I, I think, to talk about or even sometimes not even 100% clear. Uh, but as Eric said this morning, it's in the Bible, Doug. You should probably talk about it. So I hope there's something as we look at Mark chapter 3 this morning that um, causes you to think, uh, maybe encourages you about your own faith, um, or maybe it just encourages you to read Mark 3 again and, uh, and see what it says to you. Even I moved to Kelowna in the mid-70s, uh, pretty much right out, right out of university, which would in Kelowna make us long-time residents. And when we moved here in the mid-70s, I would say there were at least two, maybe three, truly local radio stations. Uh, CKIQ and CKOV, I think, were the two that most often we would listen to or I would listen to. And those radio stations, in a very... I think great way kept us well informed as kind of citizens of Kelowna. Um, you would turn them on if, if in the morning and right through the day. Uh, very often you would get news about your own city. Radio stations had a fairly significant crew of um, reporters. Um, newspapers had a crew of journalists, and I think we were a reasonably well-informed public. Today, with all the technology at our disposal, you might think that we should be even better informed. But as I think about especially conversations over the last number of months, it has become increasingly difficult at times to decipher fact from fiction, fact from suggestion. And it's not really a very good comment on us as civilized people that it's becoming more difficult to find out what's true. And a few of us actually were talking about that before the service today. This week, CBC ran a story of a woman who had carved out a career. I would call her a professional infomercial spokesperson. She went by a large number of different names. Uh, she claimed to have professional training in a wide variety of areas. And so she spoke quite passionately and apparently very successfully promoting a whole pile of different, some of them were remedies, some of them were programs, but all of it, all that she claimed was 
made up. So in some infomercials, she had four children, and some she had two. In some, she was a trained financial advisor. In others, she was a trained clinical dietitian. All of it made up. Both Google and Facebook are desperately trying to rid themselves of what they call fake news sources. And as I say, I think it's a bit of a sad commentary on where we are. Whenever we move into the areas of lies, whenever we move into an area of deception, of rumor, or even, I'll call it spin, we are moving into the shadows. When as children of God, we are called to be people of the light. And it's interesting how light and truth within the gospel of Jesus Christ are things that identify us as his children. They are things that identify Jesus as who he is. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. Lies and deception often successfully put into question things that actually should be at least somewhat self-evident. And there are, I think, increasingly people who are not particularly interested in whether something is true or not. They're simply more interested in, does that comment line up with my view of the world? Does that comment line up with my view of politics? And almost regardless of whether it's true or not, they're willing to accept it. The Christian message is based on things that we hold to be true. We believe that they are historically true. We believe the Christian faith is also true in its message, that it's not sort of partly true or worthwhile. It is true and in fact, we would say as children of God that the Christian message, Jesus Christ, God, is truth itself. In Romans 1, verse 20, and I'm going to quote verse 20 and verse 25, and there's other verses in between that, obviously, that sort of give more detail. But it's a very interesting uh, comment that Paul writes he says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. But they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things 
God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Quite an indictment really on the people that God created. More willing to set themselves up or things around them as worthy of worship as opposed to God himself. The Christian faith has often faced the reality of what I will call alternate facts. I think that term kind of came to the forefront about two weeks ago when somebody would said, well, these are the facts, it's clearly evident, and the other person said, well, we have alternate facts. And it was almost humorous that they were talking about the same thing, which was actually quite self-evident, but chose to see it completely differently. In chapter 3 of Mark, Jesus continues to draw a strong dividing line between his message and his kingdom and that of the religious leaders and earthly kingdoms who, especially religious leaders, were often adamantly opposed to Jesus. And in the beginning of chapter 3, we have a beautiful story of the healing of a man who has a crippled hand. And yet that event was turned into something else by those who opposed Jesus. And you might say the obvious, what took place right in front of them, was simply disregarded. Mark 3 verse 6 says, after that incident, at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod. I think it's... So we have religious leaders running to an earthly leader not to celebrate what they just saw, but it says to plot how to kill Jesus. It seems such an odd response to something so incredibly beautiful and something so incredibly amazing. As I thought about that, number one, these people were unmoved by the truth that was standing right in front of them. And number two, they were willing to use deception in order to destroy him. In Luke 23, verse 2, and this probably is mentioned in all the other Gospels, when it comes to the actual crucifixion of Jesus, the charges brought against Jesus were lies. This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming he is the Messiah, a king. The charges were actually blatantly false, or at the very least, wildly misleading. And we know that Pilate and those who were judging him in the instant, actually, we don't find anything wrong with this man. But he was crucified. 
even after the resurrection of Jesus and the birth of the church, many people sought to silence the Christian faith through coercion, through outright persecution, or by creating what I'll call today fake news. And yet, if you read the gospel, it's not a gospel. If you read the book of Acts, you read of men like Peter, John, Stephen, Philip, and other apostles who proclaimed the gospel in spite of imprisonment, in spite of false accusations, in spite of floggings. And when told to be quiet, they chose to continue to speak and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even in Acts, as they had done with Jesus, religious leaders sought to find a way to kill the apostles, the evangelists, the preachers that we read about in Acts. And I'm going to read a fair, fairly long section from Acts chapter 5, verse 34 to 39. So if you have access to a Bible, you may want to follow. It was a situation where Peter and others had been imprisoned for speaking the gospel and were miraculously freed from that prison and immediately went back to proclaiming the gospel. And thousands of people were responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it so annoyed the religious leaders that their intent was to find a way to get rid of these people. And so they meet with some of the religious leaders, and it's a very interesting, I'm sure I've read this many times, but it sort of jumped out at me this week. Because it talks about one religious leader who the people respected, named Gamaliel. And it says this, but one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. So he says to whoever was there, Peter, John, other, other apostles, they ask him to leave the room. And then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, Take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow, Theudas, I probably butchered that name, but who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but, his, but he was killed, and all his followers went their various ways. And the whole movement, whatever that movement was, came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was this Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, 
but he was killed too, and all his followers scattered. Don't know where they went. Came to nothing. And so Gamaliel says this. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. I read that and was like, oh my goodness. Wise man saying to them, you know what? Jesus died. If this is not of God, it's not going to last. But the Christian faith is about death and it's about resurrection. I think that reasoned response of that Pharisee who people respected continues to provide credibility to everything Jesus said about himself, everything he says about us, about life, about the church, and about eternity. You won't be able to stop it because it is from God. In chapter 6 of Acts, and I know I'm eventually going to get to Mark 3, we read of Stephen being arrested based on pure lies. To create a story that's not true. In spite of the fact that Stephen spoke with such incredible power, people listened and people accepted the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. That's so interesting. They, they acknowledged the wisdom and the spirit that was within Stephen. And so you might say, so why not consider the truth of the message? But what they did is it says, so they pers persuaded some men to lie about Stephen. Make something up. Saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. Not true. And if you ever want to read really an, an incredible, I'll call it a short story, if you read chapter Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, Stephen responds to those lies and those claims with an incredible servant, sermon, which is pretty much all of Acts chapter 7. And when he ends his message, his sermon about the cross and the resurrection, he is stoned to death. And the church continued to grow because it is of God and because it is true. And so in Mark chapter 3, rather than celebrating and believing this miracle that they witnessed the healing of a man with crippled hands. 
the Pharisees figure out we need to create a different storyline. If we acknowledge these miracles of being of God, if we acknowledge Jesus as God, we need to bow down before him. And so they accused Jesus in Mark chapter 3 of working in partnership with the devil. And Jesus points out the absolute absurdity of their argument. And Jesus makes one of the most powerful statements in the Bible. And he says to the Pharisees, if you say or teach that Jesus is in league with the devil, you have actually crossed a line where forgiveness is out of reach. Matthew, I think, talks about that same conversation, that same situation. This verse, I think, has at times caused people, even within the church, unwarranted distress. And people would say, oh my, have I ever done that? And I think if you were even, anyone who is even humble enough to ask that question needs to be reassured that Mark is talking about something completely different. Mark is talking about something sinister, something intentionally evil. And I think we need to also look at the very next verse. When he says to the Pharisees, you have crossed a line where Forgiveness is actually out of reach. And then he says in Mark 3, verse 28, and we need to hang on to this. Every other sin and every other thing that might come out of your mouth can be forgiven. It's interesting to me when I think about that, the charge the religious leaders brought against Jesus, being in league with evil, was the crime they themselves were guilty of. And they either didn't see it or they chose not to see it. They were willingly fine with exchanging truth for a lie. Even when truth was standing right in front of them. And the good news of Jesus continues to be proclaimed. I'm kind of anxious to hear Chris Winks talk about that next week. Good news of Jesus being proclaimed around the world. The church continues to grow. And that ultimately, truth will be victorious. Jesus ends chapter 3 of Mark with a, a brief discussion about who is family. I think it's safe to say that Jesus' own family has some reservations about Jesus. 
that even in the context of that place and time in history, they were not sure about Jesus. And Jesus begins to talk about family in a completely different context. It's not that Jesus undermines our human families, because I, I see family as a gift from God. That family is something God designed. But he says that in the kingdom of God, family is not defined by, let's say, our DNA. But what identifies us as family is that we acknowledge God, we embrace Jesus, and we seek to live as his followers. There is a great legacy of faith that some families enjoy. I do. And I count it an incredible blessing and privilege that if I look back at my own family, they are people of faith. And they spoke faith into us from the day we were born. But not everyone has that kind of a legacy. And Jesus, I think, highlights the potential for faith to actually create barriers within families, barriers within homes, barriers within marriages. And so in the kingdom that Jesus refers to, and I believe it's conversation really that Jesus has about the church before the church even was established. That we need to think of each other as family members. Literally. We need to think of each other as brothers and sisters. If you face persecution because of your faith and I think there are people I know there are people in Creekside who would say Doug I actually understand what you're talking about I'm living that the family of God the church is where we and people like that need to find strength encouragement comfort and support that we need to embrace the family of God even more fervently than we embrace our natural family. That doesn't in any way undermine our love for our natural family. And I think that whatever we do as a family of God, as a church, Whatever we do that brings us together as a community of faith is worth the time, is worth the money, although usually money is not, it, money is not a stumbling block here. And it's worth the effort. Anything we do that helps create community within the church of God so that increasingly we see and we think of each other as brothers and sisters. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are 
my disciples. You might have said what should come next would be a really good sermon on doctrine. And he says that you love one another. It is, as a church, the biggest drawing card we have that people would truly sense the love that exists within the church of God and that love would actually cause them to consider the truth that we hold to. The truth of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. The truth of the church that Jesus established. A church that continues to stand the test of time, the test of persecution, the test of deception and lies, that it is victorious because it is true. There is a historical aspect to this truth, and I think at Alpha this coming week when we talk about who is Jesus, some of that will be the discussion. The actual historical evidence for Jesus Christ is huge. Far more than we take for granted as being true. There are the accounts of miracles that would speak to the truth of who Jesus is and who he said he was. There is creation itself that rings out this truth of God. And there's the ongoing legacy of the church. As Gamaliel said, if this is not of God, it will disappear. Not disappearing. And then I would say on a personal level, there is the realization in my own life that what the Bible seems to say about me is so true. And so I grab on to verses like Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I don't want to fight against God. To fight against God is to be on the wrong side of history. To fight against God is to be the, on the wrong side of that which is true. And I don't want to live there. So this morning, I acknowledge God. I accept Jesus as the Son of God, my Savior. I confess my need of forgiveness. And I embrace the cross and I embrace the resurrection. I'm going to close with the two verses that are very well known. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We often stop there when we should always read chapter 17. Because God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him.
We call the gospel good news. It's good news because it's true. It's good news because it quite literally can give life to us in a way that anything else can't. I encourage you to continue to read Mark, to continue to read the things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus did, and my prayer is that it would strengthen our faith in the living God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Uh, I thank you, God, for the truth that is in your word, that it speaks uh, into our hearts. That, Father, your word has a way of exposing things within ourselves that uh, we often may not be particularly proud of. Father, the good news really is the news about forgiveness, about offering that frailty and that weakness and that sinfulness to you and leaving it at the cross of Jesus Christ. And Father, that's something I admit we need to do daily in order to walk truly feeling free and feeling forgiven. Father, I thank you for the fact that there is no other sin, thinking about Mark, nothing else that comes out of our mouth that you will not willingly forgive. So I pray, Father, that we would continue to marvel at who you are, your power and your authority in all of life, And Father, through the indwelling Spirit of God, would you help us walk in forgiveness and freedom. Help us, Father, cling to that which is true. And truth, Father, in such a real way, truth lives within the kingdom of God. Within the kingdoms of this world, there is a lot of other stuff. Help us, Lord Jesus, have our allegiance be to your kingdom, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.